But that was my life. Went to church, did my thing. When I was about 10 or 11, my mother gave me a King James Bible. And in that, she had a little card, a large card. I still have it. And it said, either reading this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from reading this book. My two choices. So I determined, okay, I won't sin. How'd that work out? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we were all thinking. <laughs> when I was baptized, well, I, when I came out of that water, I said, I'm clean. No sin. I'm perfect. I can go to heaven. I will never sin again. I was serious. You say, well, he's only 12 years old. I was serious. And I tried with all my heart to live a life without sin. Now, I don't know if some of you folks can relate to that or not. And I worked on it for years, not just a few months, 15, 16, still struggling to be without sin. Didn't work. It didn't work, obviously. So I finally gave up. I can't do it. I can't do it. So after the military, I went to Abilene Christian and I was in my room studying, and these two young men came to talk to me about going back to church and so forth. And here's what I said to them. I really appreciate the courage you boys had to come and talk to me. I know I'm going to hell. Let me go in peace. And that was my life. When I was in my early 20s, I bought a Bible called the New English Translation. I don't even know if it exists anymore, but it was written in sentences and paragraphs. Wow, I didn't understand what it said. And I discovered amazing things like grace and mercy. And so I said, wow, maybe there's a chance for me. So I started going back to church. I got really involved and interested. And I began teaching Bible class. I started teaching teenagers because I didn't want them to go through what I went through. I wanted to help them understand that they can have hope of heaven. Hope. So that's my life until a couple years ago. I'm 76. So all this time, I'm hoping I can go to heaven. So I started attending a class like this where I learned about the Holy Spirit. Now, when I was a kid, it was the Holy Ghost. Oh, what? <laughs> the Holy Spirit and, and, and the love of God for me. And I began to understand that all those years, I was wrong. I was wrong. When we had a class started like this, they said, close your eyes and picture God. And what I saw in my mind was the Lincoln Monument. <laughs> and that was my image of God. The judge. Far off, the judge waiting for me to do something wrong so I would go to hell. Not a very comfortable lifestyle in religion. But after this class, I began to understand I was wrong. <clears throat> that God really loves me, really loves me, and wants to be my father. And so I decided to go to a prayer session. I was kind of nervous about it, but I went. And uh, Andy was leading the session, and he said, close your eyes, John, and relax, and, 
And he said, I want you to see if you can picture God. Now, let me make a little... I saw in my mind, and I can't tell you if it was God putting this in my mind, or Jesus, or the Spirit, or my own imagination. I don't care. It makes no difference to me, because it changed my life. Here's what I saw. I saw an image in the distance, kind of a fuzzy, white image. And Andy says, are you going towards it? I said, no, it's coming towards me. And he said, what is it? I said, it's God. It's God. And he has his arms open, and there's huge arms open coming towards me. And he said, what else do you see? I said, there's a strong arm coming through here to hold me. A strong, much better arm. He said, what is that? I said, Jesus is holding me. He said, what else do you see? I see something coming from my left. He said, what is it? I said, it's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came up and put a gentle head on my shoulder right there. Gentle, soft head. And that, about that time, God approached us and he put his arms around us and gave us a huge bear hug, huge group hug, and he said, John, you're mine. I love you. Changed my whole life. Previously, when I prayed to God, it was, oh God, please forgive me. Please don't send me to hell. Please forgive me of my sins and I name all the bad things that I did. You know, I cursed today. I cursed today. Please. Now, it's different. Now it's, thank you, God, for loving me. And I really don't pray like, you know, our Father who art in heaven, and I'm saying something and saying, Jesus' name, amen. Now I just, I talk to God all the time. And I remember the bear, I'm saying, thank you, thank you for caring about me. And I talk to God all the day. What a beautiful day, the Lord is so gorgeous you gave us to me. And I really feel a relationship now as a father and a son I never had before. There's only one thing I regret in all this. I didn't learn that about 50 years ago. <laughs> but I'm so thankful to God that I have it now. Thank you very much for letting me share with you. John, that is the sweetest thing ever. I think we need to dismiss class. <laughs> I'll leave. That was beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Um, you know, there's nothing like testimony, right? We can look at scripture and go through points, but testimony really speaks, I think. Um, and as John said, we're learning how to walk in the Spirit. And that's something in our culture we've not had a lot of teaching about. Yes, it was called the Holy Ghost for a long time, which has a little scary component to it. Um, just in a bit of a review, uh, you know, we've talked about that uh, concept that we understand that Jesus died to take away our sin. And that's so we, that I don't want to go to hell thing. But we often forget that he also defeated Satan and brings us freedom. And that's meant for now. That's not meant for, if I can just slug through this life in torture, then in eternity I have abundant life. It's intended for now. But oftentimes we miss that. Um, a few weeks ago, we talked about Luke 15, which is a, a central teaching that I think uh, really brings out these concepts so clearly. If you'll recall, it's when the Pharisees were mad at Jesus and really frustrated because he ate with sinners. And they were like, what's up with that? You're a religious leader. You're a rabbi. 
You shouldn't be interacting with sinners. You should only be interacting with religious people. And Jesus didn't enter a debate with them. He said, well, listen to this story. And then he tells one parable with four parts. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son, and then the older brother. We're very familiar with those stories. I didn't realize until recently that it was all one story intended or one parable intended to answer that question or that accusation of why do you eat with sinners? The thing that's so sweet about all four of those stories is the reaction of the father, the reaction of the owner in the story. And that's really... um, What Jesus was trying to say to these Pharisees is, you don't know the heart of the Father. I'm going to tell you some stories so that you can get it. Um, So, but do you see yourself in any of these stories as we've talked about them? Because each story has a different event and a different outcome. There's a general principle here that talks about anyone who is in bondage or anyone who has been distanced from the Father is either, I wouldn't say one of two categories, but we have two things on either end of a continuum, okay? To the left-hand side here, you'll see the word captive. That's someone who's been kidnapped, captured, completely innocent. They didn't do a thing, but they were captured and held captive. On the other end, you see the word prisoner, This person's guilty. This person made decisions and is wound up in a prison because they did things they should not have done. When you take the Luke 15, four stories, here's how it kind of comes out as far as this concept of how did you get in this hot mess that you're in, okay? Wounded is captive. They're innocent. The story of the lost coin, did the coin do anything to be lost? No. The coin was lost in a dark corner, dirty, set aside, certainly was experiencing wounds, but not from decisions they had made themselves. Okay? It happened to them. The prisoner is someone, and in this story, it's the prodigal son, and he just got up one day and said, you know what, enough of this. I don't care if I embarrass my father. I don't care if it's the right thing to do. I want my money and I'm out of here. That was a decision. Uh, Scott taught about that a few weeks ago, if you'll remember, and he talked about that concept of being in sin. Somewhere kind of here in the middle is the entanglement, and that's the sheep. The sheep that had gotten out from the 99, the shepherd went and looked for the sheep. It's really kind of a combination of the two because, yes, there were decisions along the way, but they were not innocent but uh, naive or silly or drawn into something slowly. Not so much just a I don't care what happens decision, but really a combination of the both of both of those. Uh, next week, Franklin is going to talk about entanglement and how that might look in our lives. And then the story of the older brother, ungodly beliefs. Interestingly, it kind of uh, fits with all of these because oftentimes the ungodly beliefs, the person feels like they're a victim or something's been done to them, or they've been treated unfairly. But in reality, there may be a sin involvement there, such as pride, or something they decided that got them in that place. 
So all of this kind of gives you an idea of why Jesus was making sure that every possible way that we can become distanced from the Father, he described them, but the reaction to the, of the Father in these situations was consistent. Whatever it takes to draw my child close to me is what I'm willing to do. That's what the Father, that's the heart of the Father. And the thing I love the most that I had not seen about Luke 15 is the fact that when you are drawn to the Father, you're not on probation. It's not like, okay, you got 90 days to get your act together and then you're back out again. It is complete embracing back to the status that you started with the day you were baptized. As you described, I came up, I'm completely clean. That's where the Father accepts and sees you and draws you in. I mean, what else could we ask for that would be more precious than that? So, when we look at this, you may see yourself here somewhere. You may have experienced some of those situations. Today, we're going to talk about the lost coin and about wounding. Um, so, I have a little story to tell you. So years ago, when our children were little, probably seven, five, and three, I called it the black hole. It was a little hard. But anyway, if you've got a lot of children, you'll get it. Um, seven, five, and three, and we had a neighbor that had some children, and we let the kids play in the yard. She lived across the street, and we'd play on her front. I'd sit with Luann. We'd swing and let the kids play. We sat down. Luann said, hey, I saw a sign in the neighborhood that said 100 bucks for a missing Sharpay. Y'all know what a Sharpay? It's a dog with a wrinkle. I was like, man, we could all use 100 bucks. Yeah, so we kept swinging and the kids were playing. Next thing you know, here comes that dog walking across the yard. So Luann jumps up and says, I'll go get some lunch meat and we'll chase that dog. And I was like, great idea. So I went over to Melanie, the oldest of the crew, and said, we're going to chase after that dog. Y'all stay right here. <laughs> she comes out with the lunch meat. We take off. We go across the street. We're trying to run this dog down and, you know, do it with some deli meat. And we go around um, behind the two houses and across the street. Probably gone two minutes, maybe. Come back around the house. Didn't catch the dog. We're bombed. Come around. And all of a sudden, I hear some wailing and carrying on, and I thought, oh no, someone's been hurt. So we come running to the yard, and there's our children, and they're all hysterical. I mean, just, and I'm like, who's hurt? What's going on? And Melanie goes, we can't believe you left us. I said, nobody's hurt. This is because I left. And she said, yes, you took off running, and you left us here. They were all just hysterical. So we calmed them down, and I said, Melanie, I was going to come back, and she said, you didn't say that. <laughs> all right, so there's two things you need to know here. First of all, I'm not an easily excited kind of mom, so that panicked them in the first place. And the second thing is, our children have never seen me run. <laughs> I'm not sure they've seen me since that day. I'm not in a hurry. I'm not, I'm not running. Uh, Melody even said, Mama, the worst part is you took off running and your bottom was going up and down. <laughs> <laughs> I can see 
why that'd be a little upsetting. Um, all right, so this this story does have a this story does have a point. That's why I don't run. No, that's um, this story has a point, and the point is this. The number one thing, the bedrock belief, the thing I want you to know most about wounding is this. It's not what happened to me. It's what I believe about what happened to me, okay? What happened to that group of children was their mamas were gone for two minutes and came back, right? <coughs> what they believed about what happened to them was they're gone forever, Who's going to raise us and feed us now? Okay? Two completely different things. But in wounding, we don't try to argue with, well, here's what really happened. In wounding, the question is, what do you believe about what happened? And sometimes when those things are revealed, it's really kind of interesting. You're not even always aware of that. So, let's talk about some of the things situations that can create wounds. If you were ever abused. And remember, these are not necessarily things that have to be before the age of six or before the age of 12. It can be at any point in your life a wound can create a lie in your head. Emotional abuse. Boy, it can have an effects equally to physical abuse. What about being neglected or ignored? You know, that, that carries such weight because it's not so much what you did to me, it was the fact you didn't even see me. And if that's a significant person, then that can make a big difference. A traumatic event. So our, my sister, y'all heard me talk about this, had three boys. The two oldest were in first grade in kindergarten when the two-year-old had a tragic accident. And he passed away when he was seven after the accident. Her boys have been affected by what happened at that age and all kinds of wounds and beliefs about that event are in their head. Being rejected, that's tough when you feel a sense of rejection. If you had an alcoholic parent, oftentimes there's some behaviors or some irregularity or unpredictability there that can create some lies in your head. Oh man, how many of us can raise our hand to bad theology and how much it's affected us? John's testimony brought in some bad theology and how it can create a wound, something that's hurtful in our heart and in our soul. Being betrayed. Someone doing something to you that pretty much hurt and disappointed not being the favorite. You know what, y'all? I put this up here because this drives me crazy. Do you know how many Bible stories are about how things go wrong when you've got favorite children or a favorite employee or a favorite situation? And if you, someone verbalized, you're not my favorite, a wound can be created there that really makes a difference in our relationship with God. What about a critical authority figure? It could be a coach. It could be a teacher. It could be a neighbor. It could be someone who was in a place of authority who was critical towards you. Being humiliated. Boy, that one's tough. Being abandoned. That abandonment is a big, leaves a big hole 
And it can be manifest in a lot of different ways. And then finally, generational secrets. You know what? Things get handed down from generation to generation. And one of the most harmful things that I personally interact with is people who say, this thing happened and we never talked about it. We never talked about it. So imagine what you do in your brain when you've not been given more information, you've not had the chance to talk through or think through something, because the rule at our house is we don't talk about it. That can create a wound. It can create a wound. You know, other things to keep in mind here is, and y'all know this, think about, I, I keep, you're going to hear me keep saying this, but it's important. It's not what happened. It's what you believe about what happened. How many of you know families who have grown children? Three of them will say, I had a great upbringing. And one of them will say, I've got to go to therapy. My parents were horrible. I had this awful thing happen. They didn't understand. They weren't... I mean, really, how many of you know of those situations? I do. More than one. Yes. And so, once again, you're like, okay, there's a lot of similarities there, but where did that change, or where was that different? Um, another thing to keep in mind is Satan tends to target your gifting. So if you're a person who um, serves, or has mercy, or has, um, and if you have these gifts, I would say they're kind of more of the tender gifts, then oftentimes that's the giftedness he wants to squish. He wants to keep it uh, tempered. He doesn't want it to flourish. And in fact, he'll create a wound there that keeps you separated. And he will, that person will often become or feel defenseless or feel more like a victim. What about the leader or the teacher or the prophet, the person with that really strong giftedness? Satan will attack that person to where they begin to believe, you know what, i got to do it all myself. I don't need anybody. Clearly, I can't count on anybody, so I'm going to do this myself. I don't need God. I don't need you. And I'll create a wall. Can I say one word about you that? You can. Um, sometimes it doesn't look that blatant. What it looks like is a person saying, I'm pretty capable, so I'm just going to use my capability to run the church or to do this or to do that. And so you get something that's good but not glorious. You get something that's, yeah, it's good teaching, but I, I, we're not connecting with God for some reason. I don't know why. And, and that would be that choice. So it's, it's not, you know, you can all go to H, I don't care. No, it's, <laughs> it's, I don't feel connected to God, so, but I'm pretty capable. I can do it in my own strength. Mm -hmm. Right? Two words Great that point. I kept, like, in, all, in some of these, because I'm, I mean, I'm bouncing through these, thinking through my family unresolved conflict and you can even separate those words resolution for me in some of these that goes back to my mother had an alcoholic parent and she was told how bad she was not the favorite uh -huh. she was one of 13 and she was told she was here because her dad was going to leave and that's mm. why her mom had her her entire life my entire life is spent around not the favorite and the alcoholic parent that weren't mine. Mm -mm. So and the wounding was handed down. Her mother died and she never resolved that, Mom, why don't you like me? Yes. And she's 80. And to this day, I think she deals with that. Yes. Every, not, maybe not every day, but 
a lot, which I'm the baby, so I was the favorite. Uh-huh. And so it's it's amazing how, like, you were talking about this, and I'm going, you know, <laughs> oh, my gosh, like, I, I know this. Mm-hmm. But I'm, am I enough? Or some days I'm not enough, and other days I'm enough. But really what I need to be thinking is, God's enough for me. Mm-hmm. God's enough for me. I don't have to fix. I don't have to be the best. I don't have to. I just have to be what he wants me to be. Yes. And knowing that's hard, though, sometimes, like, especially in different parts of our lives, like the mom life, the grandma life, the work life. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I mean, I know I'm talking about, like, all of a sudden, this resolution and conflict, not having something resolved in all these things, and how do we deal? Like, well, that's we, where we're headed, okay, because we're going to, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say, well, hate it for you, goodbye. No, 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 no. And being okay with, and teaching our kids, like, all my kids are almost all grown. Yeah. And I, I know, like, they think I have a favorite, and I just get, there's some, you get along with one better. Because your personalities are, mm-hmm. are similar or not similar or whatever. Mm-hmm. But how do I let them all know that I love them? It's just in, in that well, and that's, way. And that's really what, I mean, that's a great segue to the fact that in this wounding and in that parable, what did the woman who lost the coin do? She shined the light. She started to sweep. She looked in the dark corners. She sought out the coin, the wounded brought it back into the group with the rest and had a party. I mean, that's the reaction to God. That's what the Father does in our woundedness. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that. Yes, Andy? Was there another? Oh, oh I was just saying, um, you kind of mentioned this about, um, about just the, it's your belief on the subject. Like I said, one of my kids came up to me last week and said that he heard the lie that he was not the favorite. And I specifically don't have a finger, yes. you know, uh-huh. um, but he's still, he's it's his perception. going after my kid, uh-huh. um, just because everything wasn't exactly the same, he heard the lie that he yeah. had the baby. Yeah. You know, the truth is, each is a favorite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In their own way. Right, in their own way. Yeah. Yeah. And when you say, what I specifically love about you, and love about you, and love about you, they go, I'm seen. Yes. Because I don't have to be the favorite, I have to be seen. Yes. When I was growing up, my daddy used to say, you're my favorite, but don't tell the others. Yeah. But I knew he was saying it to the others. <laughs> we all knew he was saying it to the others, right? It was, it was kind of a family joke because he was saying, all of you are my favorite. I well, and that God needs to give grace to us as parents, too. Let me just, let me just say. Here's just some... some what do we typically do in wounding? Well, deny it. Or, you know, there are situations where wounding, Mike and I were involved in a situation with a lady years ago, had four small children. She had 16 personalities. And the things that occurred in her life before she was two was unspeakable. But she just had to, the wounding, she just had to create other places to put it. Uh, defense mechanisms, we've all got them, right? Those things that we, we do and the way we respond and the things that we put up because we're trying to make sure that we're not hurt. I mean, really, that's what, um, that's what we do with defense mechanisms. Of like, how can I manage this pain and anxiety? Hey, I'll create something to help me deal with this. 
The goal is never to deny what happened. Listen, some of the things that have happened, big or small, are big things to you that are not to be denied. The Lord's not asking you to deny it. He's giving you an opportunity, though, to remove the power that it carries over you. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? It's there, but you take away the power. Wounds create lies about yourself, about God, or both. That's the bottom line. I'm just going to run through some things just to kind of put in your head. If you're sitting there thinking, am I, am I wounded? And no, not everybody has to have a big wound. This is just if this is you. Inner rawness. Why am I so sensitive? I'm always kind of got this churning inside of me. Literal no tolerance for other people. You have really high expectations for them or yourself. Hard to feel loved. You know, people say, hey, we love having you be part of our group. And you're like, no, you don't, in your brain. You're thinking, no, you don't. Lashing out, outburst of anger or hate or resentment that you carry around. Self-hate. Maybe I deserved it. Perfectionism. I've got to get it all right. I've got to, got to. And listen, if you have an exacting personality, I've got one of those. I like to organize, I like, but it's my personality. But if it's over the top where I spend all my time trying to get it perfect so everybody around me will like me and I'll be happy with myself, that's not from God. And then focus on the outward appearance. Oh, if I look good, then everybody will like me because if they saw the inside of me, they would not like me. And then negative self-talk. I have a friend. We'll be doing something. Something will happen. And I'll hear her say, I'm so stupid. And I'm like, stop that. Stop it. She's saying it out loud. Other people are saying it the same way in their head. Don't confuse the familiarity of the negative voice that you hear with honesty. Don't think, I'm just being honest with myself. That voice, no matter how long it's been there, probably started lying to you on the first day. Okay? Negative talking in your head is not from God. I'm just going to put these, y'all know this, but I'm going to remind you. It goes back to what John was talking about. But how does God, how does Father God feel about His wounded children? Y'all know these verses, but look at what He's saying in here. Whoop, sorry. He looked and looked till he found that coin. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. He will lift your weary. He knows you're weary and he wants to carry those things for you. He wants to give you rest in your soul. This turmoil, this this hurt, this uh, distraction and static that keeps you from hearing the Lord, whatever it is, He wants to remove it and you feel peace. He creates you as a new creation. He says, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. If I present my weakness before the Lord, He is thinking, hot dog, here is a chance for me to make it really clear that I'm the one to them to me, inside myself, and to everybody watching it. If my life is a mess and all of you can see transformation taking place, God gets the glory. He's all about that. And then being transformed in that renewing of our mind and the 
talking we do to ourselves and all of that. He's saying, I'm going to transform you. I'm going to change you into something different. So, one thing I want to say before we start, and that is this, emotional wounding that we're talking about has a very strong spiritual component. So, and we always want to be really careful in freedom prayer. We talk a lot about we walk alongside people who are in counseling and therapy. And those things are very, very important. Okay? But there is a spiritual component to creating a full circle, right? So a therapist can say, hey, I really hate that happened to you. Let's do some things to help you get a better sense of who you are. But the Lord speaks truth into that lie, okay? And we're going to just kind of walk through what that looks like. I just wanted you all to know we're not saying you don't do therapy. You just pray it out, okay? Mm-hmm. All of this works together. And I think community is part of that too, but that's not my lesson, so. <laughs> um, this is really good news, y'all. And I want to tell you, here's my little testimony right quick. quick. I grew up, And for years as an adult, I thought, okay, I'm going to go to therapy, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to talk to my friends, I'm going to figure out what's wrong with me, and then I'm going to pray, Lord, now that I've got this all figured out, will you walk with me while I get better? But I had it backwards. Because the reality is, I can ask Jesus, show me where my wounds are. Show me what's going on with me. And it's, it's um, astounding. That's the only word I can think of. When he will show you often things, and that wasn't what you even thought it was. Sometimes that's the big surprise. Because it's not necessarily exactly what you thought. So, you ask Jesus. You ask Jesus, listen, where's this pain coming from? What is the source? How did it get there? What do I believe about this trauma? Because remember, that's where wounds happen, right? It's where there's a disconnect between what happened, but then what I believe about it. Here's some things that can be asked. We're going to ask Jesus, what's the lie? What is the lie that I've been believing? And so many times, you're not even aware of the lie. You know, um, I think I told you all about... In my prayer session, the lie I believed was if people don't do well that I'm trying to serve and love on, then God's disappointed in me. Okay, my Sunday school big girl brain says, well, that's ridiculous. My heart thought, yeah, he's disappointed. Where did that come from, that whole thought process? Well, it it came from some places actually in my childhood where I had perceived something where someone was disappointed and it was devastating to me. Whereas I have to say, other people, if they disappoint somebody, they're like, oh well. (laughs) But for my little temperament and my personality, that created a wound. Okay, So that's what I'm talking about here is you ask Jesus, Jesus, when's the first time I felt this way? How did you feel about me in that moment? What lies have I come to believe about myself or about you? You know, he wants to put truth in the place of the lie. In the place of me thinking I've disappointed you, God, when this doesn't go well, you're disappointed in me. Do you know what he put in the place of that? He he laughed. (laughs) 
probably because humor is kind of a thing I can identify with, he laughed and he goes, you silly girl. I adore you because you're being me with skin on. That's it. That's all. That's, that's it. And that was a whole different message, right? So now my serving comes from loving him and loving people, not from I hope I do all these things so he will be proud of me. Sorry, y'all, I got a little carried away there. <laughs> we put truth in those places of those lives. We, we make an exchange. Hey, I'll tell you what. I've identified this. We're going to set that aside. We're going to exchange it for something that's a whole lot better. So an exchange takes place. So we asked Jesus, what is your truth about me? This part gets a little tricky, and we're going to talk about forgiveness in a whole lesson. But speak forgiveness for yourself and for others. Jesus, can I give these wounds to you? Jesus, will you forgive me for judging? I took your role. That wasn't my place. And I'm sorry I did that. One of the things that we often say with people is, uh, say these words, Jesus, I'm sorry for judging as if I know why they did what they did. And you know what? There's a softening that comes with that because you realize, I don't know why they acted that way. I don't even know what their wounds are or where they came from. All I know is how it affected me, and I want to hand it off. And then comes healing and cleanness. Cleanness. Uh, Boy, it's kind of like, so I'm a nurse, and there's nothing worse than having a patient who has a wound that they've ignored for a long time. You gotta, you gotta lance it, it's gonna hurt, you gotta clean it out. And it's not a one and done sort of thing, you've identified it and you've cleaned it out, but you continue to treat it and to take antibiotics and for it to get better. And that's what happens in this process of healing and cleanness. Jesus, what will you provide for me that the person who wounded me never could? Think about the things you wanted from that parent or you wanted from that coach or you wanted from that boss. And you realize they're human. They're never going to fill all those voids in my life. Jesus, what are you going to put in the place of what I was missing that they never could have done in the first place? This one's huge. Spirit. Will you remind me that we've already dealt with this? You've already taken it, and I don't have to give it back. It's, it's a done thing. Because, you know what? Satan is not happy. When these things take place, he's going to keep trying to create that static. But Scripture is full of promises that say, you know what? You resist the devil, what does he have to do? Flee. He has to flee. And what did Jesus do in his resurrection? He defeated Satan. So it's really just a big illusion that he has the power. Remember the slide a few before where it said, it's not that you deny what happens, you remove the power that it has over your life and you replace it with God's truth. I'm going to just, and then of course the celebration, what did those parables show? Showed a party. I don't think God's the memorial of the Lincoln Memorial. I think he's a party guy. (laughs) Quickly, let me just go over a couple of things about forgiveness. It's not 
acknowledging what happened to you is right. It is not a feeling. I've got to feel good about this before I can do this. It's not excusing somebody's wrongdoing. It's not saying, okay, I forgive you, therefore what you did was okay. No. It is not forgetting. You know, a lot of things that happen to us are really hard to forget, but you know what? You're going to reframe it. You're going to have a belief about what happened, but you're going to replace that belief, and you're going to look at it differently. It is not dishonoring. One of the things that's really hard is if you grew up and you had awesome parents, were they perfect? Heavens, no. You know, our, our three children, bless. When they're grown up, you just keep walking around going, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, because you, you know you messed them up, right? Um, but this dishonoring is sometimes you feel like if you say, you know what, my daddy was kind of strict and always wanting me to do better, so I believed I was never good enough. It's not dishonoring. The goal is to honor your situation and what was good about it, but take away the lie that's connected to it. Forgiveness is counting what was owed to you and giving it to Jesus. You know what? I need you to cancel this just like you canceled my debt. It's releasing your heart to heal, and it is protecting against torment. Listen, there's some wounds that torment they are whirling around in our heads and they are torment. There are others that are more like what Andy's described where it's a little more insidious and you have no idea how it's affecting your life. But it's really affecting your life in a big way if nothing more than not feeling that sense that John described of feeling the Father pull you in and say, I love you and that's enough. It changes and softens your heart. Let me tell you, this Matthew 18 story about the, the king who forgave the $100,000 debt and then the guy ran out and beat up the guy who owed him $10, that is so convicting because what God and through Jesus has done for us is the $100,000, right? So we need to release these wounds and things that we're holding so tightly. What are they benefiting you? What, what is it about it that you think, man, I am digging this? This is great. I don't hear the Father. My life is torture. Why do we stay in it? And then it's getting it up and off. You no longer have to haul it around like a sack of rocks because that's really what it's like. you got a backpack on, and it's got some concrete blocks, and you're sludging through life. And then this basically says, hey, how about we unzip that and we take those out? Next week, entanglement. Um, which is a whole other way of looking at this. If any of you have got some questions or things you want to talk about, I just am so, you know, my OCD, I have to get us out on time. Um, last week, someone brought it to my attention that we mentioned freedom prayer here and there, but we never tell anybody how to sign up. Just go to the Otter Creek website and in the little search thing, put freedom prayer, and it'll take you. There's a form. I'm the only person that sees it. I'll email you and say, hey, when's a good time for you? But um, what I just. What is freedom prayer, Jeannie? <laughs> in a nutshell, in a nutshell. It kind of scary. it's actually this kind of process that we just described here about asking Jesus uh, with two or three other people in community just walking through and having a conversation with the Lord um, feeling we, we call it looking at the ripe fruit what is it the Lord wants to show you that day okay that's it awesome see ya <laughs>